honor your neighbor. That is the focus of today's podcast. Welcome. This is the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. It's hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And in the church, we often hear the phrase about love your neighbor. But today, let's consider what it means to honor our neighbor, because our love is seen in how we honor our neighbor. Well, for me, it is an honor to do this each week with Chris Johnson. Chris, good to see you. Well, thank you, Lynn, so much. It is a pleasure to be with you today. Um, I, I think one of the things I want us to, to, to think about from a perspective of honoring our neighbor is uh, how, would, how would we explain or describe this kind of love or behavior to somebody who's never experienced anything like this. So let's just kind of keep that in mind as we have this conversation. We're delighted to have uh, Katie McCoy with us today, uh, writer for this session. Lynn? Yeah, Katie is the director of women's ministry for Texas Baptist. Katie, you've been in this role a year now. Is that, am I thinking correctly? Coming up on a year. Yeah, still very new to it. Well, Katie, uh, first of all, thank you for writing and thank you for your ministry. Tell us what exactly you do uh, there with the Texas Baptist. So we are creating a lot of resources for women. And our goal is for women's ministries in churches to be self-sustaining sources of women's discipleship. One of the great things that has happened in the last 20 years is we've seen uh, this wonderful influx of material to women and by women, but as my friend Debbie Stewart, she's a, a veteran women's minister, says, we need to shift from creating female facilitators to female teachers and leaders. And one of the things that I'm excited to get to do is help nurture that, foster that, um, using a lot of material that's out there, including the material from Lifeway, and also helping women reimagine what does it look like to build healthy, spiritually mature Christian women in your church, not only learning material, uh, but also finding meaningful places of service and growing in their inner life in dedication to the Lord. So we are constantly working on probably a dozen different things. I, I wish this Dolly the Sheep thing worked out so we could clone myself <laughs> and have two of me running around because I need another one of me to just handle all of these fun ideas that we're working on. So slowly but surely, we are creating it from scratch. Wow. Good for you. So tell me, just I'm curious, how's it been for you? What's it been like to move out of the academic world to uh, ministry dealing directly with churches and individuals? You know, they're both very uh, particular ministries, and I'll always be grateful for my time at Southwestern, both as a student and a faculty member. I'm enjoying getting to work directly with churches. So a lot of things that I taught in the classroom, I'm able to take and um, give to women who are just hungry for the resources. So for instance, one big one, is I've done two conferences in the last six months where uh, women have wanted just help understanding gender ideology today and the things that we're seeing in the news and wow. how to understand it from a biblical worldview, but then respond to it with clarity and compassion. And not only for you know teenagers in their lives that may be struggling with gender confusion, but also understanding how we have a culture that is oftentimes exploiting the vulnerabilities of children, especially uh, to, to feed a lot of deception about who they are and uh, what it means to be an embodied image bearer of God. 
And Katie, you have written a book. Uh, it's coming out in September, I believe. Uh, you, you co-wrote this, but you wrote a book, uh, Humanity, uh, for, for B&H. Yes. Uh, so this book kind of goes down the road you were just talking about. Uh, correctly? Thinking correctly? We're discussing all areas related to the doctrine of humanity. It's part of a broader series of theological works that, that Robin and Holman is uh, producing. And a, a really fun thing about this is all of these works are co-authored by a seasoned theologian and a younger theologian. And that was the vision of Dr. David Dockery that um, he has helped pair these different uh, theologians to, to work on these topics together. So you'll see them slowly start rolling out volume by volume over the next couple of years. Well, your volume on humanity is the one that most intrigues me simply because of the culture we're living in right now. So many of our issues center on uh, just applications of the doctrine of humanity, not only gender, but work. Work is a big conversation lately, too. The work from home after the pandemic. Have you seen how people at these huge companies just said, yeah, I'm not coming back. I'm not what do you mean I have to show up at an office? That's almost oppressive. And so there's this, uh, you heard about the great resignation and uh, how do we understand um, how God created us for contribution and how do we relate that to issues like work? So, so but, but then there's also the, the great regret about from people who made that decision oh, to resign. Yes. And then all of a sudden they're going, what am I going to do now? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or the job that I thought I was going to get isn't anything like it. It, it sounded like it was going to be. So it's really interesting times. It is. It is. Let's think about this idea of honoring our neighbor. Keep in mind, we're in the, uh, the broader context is how do I love my neighbor? Uh, so we asked the question, uh, what is something that you've learned by watching someone else? And uh, Katie, you mentioned the Julia Child uh, teaching people how to how to cook, uh, is a, which is a great example. She uh, was just a dynamo. You go back even you know all these decades late, decades later, and you you see her personality come through. And I think what makes her so enduringly popular is how she took all these very complex things that were about, you know, just the, the using even just a few ingredients in just a certain way to create this uh, famous French cuisine and people who felt like there's no way I could possibly pull this off. She invited them into it and she showed them how to do it. And I think one of the, the favorite things that when you watch her do is how she responded to her own mistakes and just said, oh, you just keep going. It's okay. And you know, have courage as she, you know, slices some poor lobster that's been cooked to its death, you know? And so you, you see that she's inviting them into uh, being a part of it. And I think that's what great teachers do. They don't present something as this is so high and difficult. You have to be like me and at my level to understand it. No, they make it accessible. They make it very practical. They make it something that you can see yourself being a part of and inviting you into the process and not just telling you what to do, but helping you step-by-step achieve it. So it's something that even someone who is domestically challenged can do. Shocker, right? I won't even tell you. I won't even tell you how much food network I've I've had to absorb over the years. Um, Yes, 
my poor mom, she's, she's phenomenal and she's uh, very German. And so when she's in the kitchen, you would, you practically wouldn't know it because it's still very clean. I would be, you know, cooking up a storm, but there's flour all over the countertop. It's on the floors. I mean, yes, you see, you see the dilemma. So yes, even someone who's domestically challenged can, can learn a few things from really good teachers. That's awesome. The YouTube videos are so funny to me because it's amazing who the guys are that are making these things. And they're just going, well, this is something I learned. So I'm going to show you how to do it. And they're so amazing and so accurate. And I'm challenged in all of those areas. And I'm, I'm surprised at how good they are. And I don't always have a Julia Child expectation when I'm seeing who is uh, telling me on these YouTube videos how to do this. But they always do a great job. So if you haven't read the personal study guide yet, you're wondering, what in the world does this have to do with honoring our neighbor? Well, I'm glad you asked because Katie describes, she talks about Julia Childs and uh, showing, you know, showing us what to do, not just telling us. Uh, Katie, I like how you make this segue because that's what Paul did. We're going to be in the book of Romans, Romans 12. But prior to uh, chapter 12, Paul has been laying out this incredible picture about salvation the doctrine of salvation. So now when we come to chapter 12, where we're about to pick up, this is where he's going to, okay, let me show you how to live out that salvation. You've heard the theological part. Now here comes the practical part. And so what we're going to do is we talk about honoring our neighbor. We're going to be in Romans 12. And I just want to begin with verse nine, because what we see in these first about four verses or so is honor others by seeking their best. Paul said, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Sounds like a long list of things to do. A little intimidating, huh? <laughs> it, it is. It's a great list. And I look at that list, Chris, is, I mean, each one of those little single sentences, I feel like we could create a whole Bible study on that. Uh, Paul's just given us so much practical. This is what it means to live out your life of salvation. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with how we treat other people. Yes, very, very much. I think it all hinges too on that. Let love be without hypocrisy. Um, Now that's different than choosing to act lovingly and, you know, express kindness and patience when you don't feel like it. That's actually a big expression of, of love because it's not a feeling it's, it's a choice that we make to put someone um, above ourselves. But you know, it's interesting whenever we talk about, you know, the emphasis on loving your neighbor, Um, inevitably in a very good question will come up of, well, does that mean that you don't address things that are wrong? Does that mean that you avoid or shrink back from talking about uh, things that might seem unpleasant or uncomfortable or even confrontational? And I think the next phrase of the last half of verse nine gives you that answer, detest evil, cling to what is good. So love and confronting with truth in love, they're not two mutually exclusive things. Far from it. It's that we love 
by proclaiming the truth. But when we proclaim the truth, we're not doing it to rub people's nose in it. We're doing it in a way that is consistent with the spirit of love, which we learn about in first Corinthians as well of the, the character of love, being kind and patient, not boastful, not arrogant. And so I, I think this passage helps us understand one of the common misconceptions uh, that when sometimes people will, will say, well, we just need to love our neighbor more. Well, someone will come on the heels and say, well, yeah, but, but that doesn't mean we don't speak the truth. And you're right. It doesn't. And Paul didn't think it, it meant one or the other either. So we shouldn't too. It's funny how we're challenged by that, Katie. Uh, for those of us who have had kids or you say may have kids now, it's we don't think twice about that with our own children. We love them. So we are going to show them where they're erring, where they are running adrift. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are family together. And my love for them means I should point out the, the wrong or the evil. And I do it with grace. I do it with love. But I don't ignore the problems. Yeah, you're not ignoring reality, too. You brought up that analogy of parenting. That's a great one. You know, if your four-year-old wanted to put her hand on a hot stove, you're not going to say, that's okay, honey, live your truth. No, you're going to try to protect her from the consequences of her actions. And that's exactly what we're called to do, too. When we are uh, proclaiming the full truth of God's word about, for instance, a biblical sexual ethic and how God commanded and designed us to express our sexuality, we're not trying to pull people back into some type of repressive way of thinking. No, we're trying to save and spare people from the consequences and the self-destruction that comes when we ignore God's design. And so truth and love, um, these are not just two sides of the same coin. They're, they're kind of two expressions of the same spiritual state of being salt and light, being God's representative to a world that needs to know him. Paul has given us a, a, it almost looks like a laundry list of things to do. I look at this holistically. This is what it means to love. We provide a question, I think, that has some value to talk about as, as your group looks at these, these list of things that we should do that expresses love and honor. The question was: is this, which of these commands do you find easier to obey and which are more challenging for you? And as I pondered that question, I'll confess there were some I thought, uh, that one's not a problem. That one is. Some things are more difficult uh, for us. Some things are, are flow more naturally for us. And I think this gives us a way to make very practical uh, this laundry list, if you will, of commands that, that Paul gives about what it means to love one another. Well, let's look at verses 14 through 16, uh, as we continue this idea of honoring. We're going to look at honoring others over our honoring ourselves. Paul continues, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. So do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimate estimation. Ouch. Can we just say ouch? The, the, the tied to letting love be without hypocrisy and um, it, outdoing others and showing honor and everything that Paul laid out in verses 9 through 13, that we move to how we relate to other people when we are wronged. 
Because, you know, it's one thing to love someone sacrificially. It's one thing to be fulfilling all of these commands. But then what do you do when it is not reciprocated as you think it should be? What do you do when a kindness is not responded to in the way that you believe you are owed? And you may very well be owed a different response from someone. What do you do? Because at that moment, you've got a few choices. You can become bitter. Um, You can become angry and revengeful, or you can do what Paul says in verses 14 through 16, um, choosing to bless, choosing not to curse that word curse. Oh, we could, we could park on that for a while and then choosing to live in peace. And then isn't it interesting? He brings up all about humility because when you're in any kind of conflict, relational conflict, uh, at some point, uh, it is it is confronting yourself with your own attitudes and and somewhere if you have a gridlock you have pride you have someone who is not going to uh, yield and not going to bend and so responding to conflict with blessing and humility this is the part two this is part of how we let love be without hypocrisy you say something in in what you've written here Katie. Uh, and you're talking about this blessing and cursing, but you're talking about our words. We don't often think of our words being either a blessing or a curse, probably because we have a narrow, rather narrow view of both. The words we speak can have an incredible impact on others. We don't often think of our words being either a blessing or a curse. I think those are, that's a powerful statement. Uh, Katie, just this morning, I had breakfast with two men who are, uh, they're about to launch a, uh, we're about to start a new Bible study class in our church. And so I was meeting with them uh, and they're going to be doing this study and using this material. So I was kind of meeting with them to walk through this. And one of the gentlemen made the comment, he says, he came to church one Sunday and was just really hoping for someone just that he could connect with. And a man sitting right in front of him turned around and they engaged in a conversation that hooked him. And that man he talked with was the other man at the table this morning. And he said, and then he followed him and says, and then just a few weeks later, he introduced, he brought me into the conversation. I was introduced to you in that. And so we had a great conversation. And I'm not, uh, and then he said, the week after that, he said, Lynn, you sent me a card just thanking me for that conversation. And he said, I cannot tell you the impact that just that card, those words were to me in my Christian walk. And then I, I, I read these words from you, Katie. We don't often think of our words being either a blessing or a curse. And, and I didn't. I, I wrote that card and went right on. But our words really can be a blessing, a way to honor another person, just to lift them up in the love of Jesus. Yes. And, and oftentimes that is um, finding the good, finding the good in someone. Um, there was an interesting social media campaign several years ago that challenged people to, uh, change how they speak to young girls who have, uh, perhaps assertive personalities or their take charge people. And, uh, it, it had this kind of juxtaposition that in kind of a, a very, light way, it it was describing the difference between blessing and cursing. 
And uh, it challenged parents to say, you know, instead of looking at your daughter and saying, you're so bossy, um, instead to say, you have strong leadership gifts, you have a strong personality, um, you're very good at this, uh, we need to we need to discipline this, we need to focus this, you need to grow in these gifts. And, and in a secular way, they were kind of illustrating this point of blessing and not cursing. But there's another subtle way that cursing comes up. Um, it's, it's not always the, the very strong, strident words that we might think of just uh, spewing uh, in moments of anger, although it certainly can be that. Cursing can be, you're going to be just like your mom. Or, uh, you know, your, your father had this issue. You're going to have this issue too, or, um, you're never going to be able to overcome this choice that you made back here several years ago, or you're just lazy, or you're just fill in the blank. That is, that is a pronouncement of judgment on someone that is, uh, that is a devaluing of them as well. And Proverbs says life and death are in the tongue. You have the ability to not just push someone down. We're not talking about emotionally. We're talking about something of how they see themselves. And instead, we also have the choice to bless, to call forth what is good in someone, to say, I see this possibility in you. I see this this attribute in you. Uh, I see that, you know, yeah, here's your family of origin but you have the spirit of God in you making all things new. You're not going to be limited by your past, you know, reminding them, recalling to them the blessings and promises of God and helping that person see um, not only how the Lord has changed their identity, but also um, pronouncing words of grace over their lives and not judgment. I, th- I don't think I've ever heard anyone explain that idea of cursing uh, and, and blessing conversely in, in that way. And I just think that's brilliant and appreciate you, you sharing that with us. Let's move to our third section as we continue this thought of, of honoring our neighbor. We love our neighbors by honoring them. This, let me pick up in verse 17. Paul said, do not repay anyone evil for evil. So give careful thought to do what is honorable in everybody's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. These are challenging words. We, you know, we, you've, you've talked about this uh, in both of our conversations, how, how, Jesus, how the word of God just really hits us uh, right in the face and makes us pay attention to what is being said. Oh, they are. Oh, Chris, let me share another Katie quote here. What she said, I love how she said this. When we honor ourselves, love humbly and show hospitality, no room will remain for vengeance in any of our relationships. 
that. If we do what we're supposed to do, there's no room to do what we shouldn't be doing. Thank you, Katie. Well said. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> Just solves everything. <laughs> well, these issues of, of revenge and retaliation are real. That's what happens in people's lives. That's how people in the world think. And um, so for, for Paul to address them in this way is really significant. Yeah, you know, it. Uh, I've got that John Piper quote included in there. If you hold on to a grudge, you are uh, robbing the judge. And that's just one of those axioms that's kind of easier to remember. I believe it was uh, him or Tim Keller who said, uh, you know, it's not wrong to desire vengeance. Paul, uh, Paul isn't saying, uh, don't, don't desire revenge. Don't desire vengeance. There, there are things that we have received from other people that are wrong. We struggle to forgive them. And, uh, we may desire that that person gets their comeuppance. Go read Psalm 37. And all throughout Psalm 37, David is saying, you know, Lord, please cause, cause this person to uh, receive what is due them. And he's trying to counsel his own soul. Don't fret about the wicked because it's only going to lead to harm. The, the Lord is going to take care of it. But he's praying that the Lord would take care of it. The issue here is, are we going to try to play God and try to exact vengeance for ourselves? And, and this is where it's a matter of faith. Do we trust the Lord to act for us? And as my, my uh, pastor or father likes to remind me, God will do it a lot better than you can. It'll be in his timing. It'll be in his way. And, and you, he doesn't need you to be the one to do it. He doesn't need your help. And so we struggle with this because oftentimes we think about, uh, if we are leaving vengeance to God, that somehow it's going to just be ignored. And that's not the case at all. You see that God is a God who remembers. He keeps the books and he has perfect justice. And so when we trust something to him, um, even if there is a reason to go through uh, civil authorities and, and legal measures, Oftentimes, sadly, our courts, our laws don't always ensure what is righteous. What do we do then? We have a higher judge. We have a judge who is going to make right every wrong. And so if you're struggling with something that was never righted, if you're struggling with wanting to have revenge, uh, look, the Lord tells you that desire for justice, that is uh, good. The desire for justice is good. What is not good is to try to take it into your own hands and rob God of what belongs to him. And that is vengeance. Uh, because then uh, when we do that, instead of God acting for us, by us trying to take his place and exact vengeance, we put ourselves on the opposite side of God's judgment. And now not only is he, has he been robbed of vengeance, but we have robbed him of something that belongs to him alone. Well said. And as the, as the scripture, you referenced our being humble in this, uh, you referenced the scripture that if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And you remind us when we humble ourselves that way, God will use that humility to vindicate us because of this. He says, uh, 
when you, when you show kindness like this, it's like heaping fiery coals on his head. You know, we're being humble. We're doing what we should do. And God, in a sense, will vindicate us in doing that. So it's interesting um, to me that it's easy for us to say, well, just, just trust the Lord. Trust the Lord with what's going on. Trust the Lord with your needs. And what this is saying is trust the Lord with these things that uh, these issues of retaliation and revenge, trust him with justice. Those are harder for us to do, but it's so true. And it's so consistent with God's message to us just to trust him. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite uh, preachers to read Martin Lloyd Jones describes how part of how God grows our faith is to intentionally put us in situations where it feels like he's forgotten us. Mm. That's how we grow our faith. And so uh, if you find yourself in that situation, he has not forgotten you. Uh, he can't forget about you. He can't forget about his word or his promises. And he definitely can't forget about his character. And so uh, this is the challenge. It's that we are uh, not just walking through the situation. We are being changed um, by the Lord is using that situation to change us. But we can take heart, too, because whatever God is using to change us, Romans 8, 28 is for our ultimate good. So we don't need to be afraid. Uh, we, we can rest in this confidence that the Lord really, truly will make all things right. And we'll take everything that was wronged that we have suffered and he will turn it to our good. Thank you, Katie. And thank you, Chris. Our focus has been honoring our neighbors and is the love is seen in how we honor others. This is a phenomenal passage. So many key truths. We could just park on each one of these and spend an hour or so on them. So but we thank you for joining us for this podcast. Katie, thank you for taking the time to meet with Chris and I to have a, a, a very robust conversation about love and honor. Thank you. It was great to be with you both. And we hope you have a great Bible study this week. <laughs>